0: Another exciting week in athletics. The world series teams are decided in major league baseball. The NBA is back for another regular season. College football continues to remain exciting with some interesting games of ranked teams and a little scandal happening off the field with one of the best teams in college football and nothing circles the wagons quite like the national football league. As we know, I thought we'd start the show, though, just setting the record straight for anybody that listens to us or knows of us that might be interested in the future of this show. New report, old report. Now, I had to turn anything down that would have come from this because of my current employee status as the producer for Big 12 Radio from 3 to 6 Eastern time. But there is another show that happens from 3 to 6 Eastern time over on Mad Dog Sports Radio. You may be familiar with what's called Mad Dog Unleashed hosted by Christopher Mad Dog Russo, formerly of Mike and the Mad Dog on WFAN. Chris Russo the other day made a proclamation on his show, saying if the Arizona Diamondbacks came back and won two games in Philadelphia and won the series to advance to the fall classic, he'd retire on the spot. Threw around a couple other things like, maybe I shouldn't retire and I'll just miss Timmy's game. He's going to be an assistant coach at you against UConn. It's a huge. First game for him in his career. I want to be there as a father. I'd be nervous. You know what? No, forget it. I'm going to stick with retiring. I'm not doing radio. I'm done. Well, as truth be told, and luck would have it. The diamondbacks pulled off a miracle. The Philadelphia Phillies shit themselves. They blew two games. They blew the series And the Arizona Diamondbacks find themselves back in the World Series for the first time since 2001. And baseball fans might remember what happened then. And I'm sure if you don't, you'll see the replay hundreds of times the next week and a half or so of the moment where they won Game 7 against a team and a closer that should not be named. But as it turns out, Chris Russo eventually returned to his show on Wednesday. After program director Steve Torrey filled in for a segment, through the commercial, and who storms into the studio but Chris Russo himself. Retirement? No, I'm back. So fans, many displeased, most of which have never listened to his show and probably barely know who he is, but love jumping on a good scandal, if you will. I thought they turned it into a great bit on the show, and I think Chris will make some sort of amends with it. He's now going to the World Series. He'll be there in Arizona for games three, four and five. The manager's probably going to have fun with them. The players are probably going to have fun with them, unless they're down 2-0. Maybe they'll be a little bit more angry at that point of it. But if things are even going well for the Diamondbacks, I'm sure they'll poke fun. He'll make it right somehow. And I don't think we'll end up seeing him walking around Fifth Avenue in a bikini holding up a sign that says, I'm a douche, as Howard Stern asked him to potentially do the morning of Wednesday as some way to pay back the debt if he wasn't going to retire. So I guess I should ask you, Al, did you receive any inquiries from Sirius XM while this was up in the air and the Diamondbacks had wanted you a late night phone call Tuesday, perhaps coming in to host? was there any communication and are you a little disappointed we didn't get chosen maybe by even Chris himself as the next successor for the show. And he's not pulling up his end of the bargain. Some people very disappointed about this.
1: Well, first of all, it's great to be with you and our fans and friends again. And obviously I was anxiously awaiting uh, a call, an email, a text, uh, a tweet, Uh, I should say, on X, formerly known as Twitter. Uh, However, unfortunately, nothing ever came of it. I was never contacted. I was waiting for, I I advised all, feel free to reach out. I am available. I would have cleared my calendar, my schedule, for yesterday from 3 to 6. The call never came. And our fearless leader returned, as you said, at about 3.20 uh, and put the dog and pony show, no pun intended, uh, to bed quelled the rumors uh, and thanks to a deal brokered by Howard Stern in which you know as you said he is now at least potentially supposedly uh, to march through the streets of Manhattan wearing uh, a bikini bearing the Diamondbacks name and a sign that was later revised to read i'm a liar and a dope because he was not pleased with the reference to being a douche. And I can understand that. He's a God-fearing man. And uh, that now may even be uh, open for dispute as to whether or not he will go forward with that obligation, Uh, as it sounded like he was continuing to step back from that latest obligation and commitment that he made to the king of media. So uh, he's back, not that we ever thought he was going anywhere. Uh, it was great publicity for the program, for the network, for Chris. Uh, it was great for the DVX as you know obviously their manager got a huge kick out of it because he listens to Chris on MLB network and knows of his show and he made a big two t- t- about it. you know, hoping they win and you know, if they win, he hopes he does retire. And then in the locker room in the postgame champagne celebration, the D-backs are doing the bounce, you know, yelling out, Mad Dog, Mad Dog, Mad Dog. So you know, he certainly made waves. He certainly uh, hit a lot of ears, and that's, that, that's the best-case scenario. And now he's going to Arizona with the program, which had not previously been planned to cover the World Series. So all's well that ends well for the D-backs, for Christopher Mad Dog Russo and Sirius XM Radio, specifically Channel 82 and the MLB Network channel 89 where he does his uh, heat program and uh, hopefully that will all be the lead in to a lengthy world series i'm done trying to predict what i think is going to happen because i thought it was going to be a Phillies astros rematch obviously i was dead wrong although it was uh, they were up three two in each series and managed to lose four straight between them so i guess i wasn't that far off but uh you know the d-backs of the cinderella club and uh, you know, Texas has got the old magician, Bruce Bochy, now in his one, two, three, four, fifth World Series with third different team, lost one with San Diego, won three with the Giants, and now he's, uh, he's in his fifth with his latest new team in his first year there, the old Sage. Good to see some old folks getting the job done. He continues on, and uh, his buddy and uh, rival in the ALCS, Dusty Baker, as uh, his defending champs go down in seven, has decided to call it a day. After a long, illustrious managerial career, taking five different teams to the playoffs, three World Series with the Astros, uh, of which he wins one last year, uh, Dusty finally decides to ride off into the sunset after a fabulous playing and managerial career who will be sorely missed, but I think we'll see him around
0: couple things involving the World Series. One for Chris Russo. Obviously hosting radio in New York City for 20 years, okay? You're going to get millions of listeners tuning in to what you have to say, especially at the peak of your popularity. You don't just get a 30 for 30 made for you and about you just because you happen to be there. You have to do something with it. So I'm not saying that this past week's show was his most listened to ever, far from it. But when it comes to Sirius XM and Mad Dog Sports Radio, it's got to be top three as far as people tuned in for the top of the show once they found it, of course. So maybe by the time they found where Channel 82 was for some people that had no idea who Chris Russo was, when he returned, they were there for it. So we could count those toward the numbers as well. But I'd have to think this popularity for that moment is the most I remember of Chris in this new light of what he's doing now with different hats on MLB network and what he's now doing on first take the rise in popularity from that show. Every show he was on was making fun of it, poking fun at it, saying something about it. Twitter was ablaze about it for or against. And it's just amazing to see this dude, 64 years old. He's been in radio for what? 35 years, 40 years. And now is when he's at his peak. What is happening in this world of media? And he's loving every minute of it. That's the best part of it all. He's taking it with a grain of salt. He's not reading what you're saying on Twitter. He's not putting out those tweets, not to take you back behind the curtain. You think he knows how to open the Twitter app? You're lucky if you're getting a phone call or a response that way. He's not going to be out here tweeting to uh, baseball fan 191462 on their old Twitter handle. But everybody has seemingly embraced it. The Diamondbacks manager put out a statement via the Diamondbacks Twitter uh, about three hours ago, said a deal's a deal. You can't back out of that one, mad dog. I ain't going to forgive you until you do something unbelievable. Maybe show up here and say you're sorry to the entire team. So Toy is having fun with it as well. Like I said, it might be a little different story if they're down 2-0 and he's showing up, but all things considered, I think they're going to embrace him with open arms And it's been fun to watch as someone that knows Chris, as you know him a lot better than I do. It's just hysterical that this is happening. And he's just like a kid in a candy store dealing with everybody's digs and jives. And how could you do this? There's people yelling out. I don't know if you heard Don LeGrec on his show screaming. They're at a bar doing their show live screaming about why we should bend the knee to Chris. He's not, he's like everybody else. If you make a stupid comment like that, I'd come after you if you worked here and he's going after him and people saying they've lost respect for him and they can't believe what are we doing? (laughs) This is sports radio, man. You're going to say stupid stuff in the heat of the moment. And if you're, wrong or incorrect, what you can do is at least make a a proclamation the following day that you were wrong and and eat it. I think the problem in the industry is people don't eat their mistakes. They just move on to the next day. He's at least saying, you got me. I'm red-handed. You got me.
1: I think the biggest problem with Chris's uh, proclamation, his uh, statement, his promise, is that he didn't make it in passing. He made it very, uh, in a very patient, thoughtful fashion, not some knee jerk reaction. You know, he simply said, and he said it slowly, and he said it uh, with thought. And he said, Bob Raceman, you can write it down. Not screaming. It wasn't a mad dog rant. It was a very thoughtful, slow paced, statement in which he stated his case. He said, I was been off on the Diamondbacks the whole way. I haven't bought into them. I'm, obviously, this is not verbatim. I'm paraphrasing. But if they win tonight, you know, and they win these next two games, I'll retire on the spot. You know, and he said, the raceman, you can write it down. It wasn't a screaming rant. It wasn't, you know, mad dog gone wild. It wasn't one of the famous... You know, five to seven minute clips of him ranting and raving with the arms waving from days gone by, you know, on the Saturday morning monologue or with Mike or, you know, on Yes when the show was on TV or on High Heat or now with Stephen A in the Wednesday uh, soiree that they do on Worst Take. It was a thoughtful Analytical, Christopher Mendoza, setting forth that I've been wrong about this club all the way along. Can't believe they're here, but if they win these next two, they win tonight. They win tomorrow night. Collaboration. You can write this down for watching. I'll retire. On this, not a rant, not a rave, not a scream, not a shout. Just a well thought-out statement from a savvy, experienced baseball historian that blew up in his face.
0: (laughs) And people should know, like, that wasn't planned. He's not saying that on air thinking, okay, this is something I'll say. They'll put it out on our social media. Maybe it'll get picked up somewhere, gain some traction. We'll be able to talk about it on the baseball show. We'll have it for a first take. If we need anything, this will be great. We'll be able to chat about it. No, (laughs) this was all an organic thing that just continued to snowball to every aspect of his life. And they obviously turned it into a funny bit at the end, and and we'll keep kind of doing so. But this didn't start out as a ploy to say, okay, let's see how much legs this will get. This was all organic, all off the cuff, and it all just went crazy. And it's just been hilarious to watch. As somebody without a dog in the fight, no pun intended, we're on Chris's side for it. And just hearing some people take it so seriously is great because if you polls or listen back to 90% of sports radio talk show personalities, there's at least in the tens of things that they've said completely incorrectly or bet incorrectly and never made their wagers right on. Just well, how it goes. Just to,
1: just to give you an idea, uh, you know, I, I thought the Phillies would win the series in five. And if you had told me that Zach Allen was going to have two awful starts, well, then I, I would have doubled down and said the Phillies are going to sweep them. Not only did Zach Allen have two terrible starts, the Diamondbacks still won the series. So it it it, it was just shocking. It really was.
0: It was. Uh, it wasn't a shocking thing for him to say that. He's said many more shocking things that haven't turned out to be true that never went viral like this. That statement, there's no way after what we've seen from Philly in this postseason, they go back home and lose two to the Diamondbacks at their place as ruckus as it will be. If they do, I'll retire. Okay. (laughs) I mean, if you just put that script in front of me, yeah, of course, this isn't that.
1: Let's take a a look at the Diamondbacks. Let's remember that they were a 50-win team at the All-Star break. Now, a long time ago, when we made our preseason predictions, and you can check the tape, I believe if we go back to it, I had picked the Diamondbacks as my dark horse team. I didn't in any way, shape, or form expect them to go to the World Series, but I believe I picked them as one of my wild cards, or at least to compete there for, and then they were flying. Led by the rookie of the year, the unanimous rookie year at that po- rookie of the year at that point, Corbin Carroll, and they were in great shape. And then came basically the second half, just after the All Star break of the season, and they, along with Quinn, it, it, it was really, if you check the numbers, I mean, they were pretty correlated that the Diamondbacks went into the tank. And it was led by Corbin Carroll. His average dropped about 40 points. And I remember commenting to people, and even on the radio, you know, it just goes to show, I mean, all the talk about the kid, you know, he's hit the bricks. Uh, and the team has hit the bricks with him, but, you know, it just goes to show, you know, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying flame out, but just how hard this game is. See if he can make the adjustments, etc. And his average dropped, you know, from the 320 or thereabouts, you know, to 280. And the Diamondbacks actually sunk to below 500, and were out of the postseason and looking like done. While the Cubs were flying and looked like they were in great shape for a wild card. Cincinnati was scoring a bunch of runs. They were over 500. Uh, Milwaukee was in command of that division. The Dodgers were rolling. Uh, The Giants were hovering around 500 a little over and in the playoff picture and had passed the Diamondbacks. But obviously the Padres were still trying to figure out what the hell the problem was and were nowhere to be found. And then as we went towards the stretch drive the last month of the season, the Diamondbacks kind of righted themselves a little bit and made the climb to back over 500. And once you're back over 500 for that last wild card, you're in the mix. And you had the four teams. Uh, battling for a couple spots, and then it came down to, you know, a couple teams for one spot. And lo and behold, the Cubs spit the bit, and, you know, the Reds faded, and there were the Diamondbacks and the Marlins to get those last two spots. They get in, and then they they go into Milwaukee and face two very good pitchers. Corbin Burns has been terrific. And remember, they were behind in both of those games. It wasn't just that they went into those two games and beat up the Brewers. They were behind
0: in both games. Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. Let me throw you this stat, too, from... Katie Sharp, KT Sharp on Twitter. Well done. She had put this out. She's not really an all-over baseball person. She mostly just follows Yankee fun stats and different things. But she had this out in mid-October that it was the first time in MLB postseason history, excluding shortened seasons, that all four teams in the LCS had 90 or fewer regular season wins. We knew that coming into this. The Rangers and Diamondbacks now Combined for 174 regular season wins. That's the fewest combined regular season wins in a World Series matchup, excluding shortened seasons. So I'm not one of those people that comes after viewership and the ratings and, oh man, these are going to be, you're not paying those bills. What difference does it make? If you want to watch it, go ahead. If you don't, go ahead. I'm not thinking about hurting somebody that's making quadrillion dollars a year by them not getting enough, quote-unquote, viewership. As a baseball fan, I'm not going to be as engaged. I hope it's a long series. It's exciting games, of course, but it's not something that's going to pique my interest as much as it would have if it was the Astros and or the Phillies. Looking at how everything panned out, though, since we're not going to be able to predict this series correctly, because it hasn't happened all postseason, is this something you'll view for both losing teams? And you hate to do this, but when series goes seven games and you were ahead, it warrants a conversation. Is this a case of the Astros and or the Phillies blowing it? Or did they just get outplayed over seven games? I think at least for Phillies fans and Astros fans have to feel the same way because dynasty talk has been thrown around them. If they were to win another one after what they've done the past seven seasons, making it to the ALCS, Phillies as well. This was the year. Team of destiny. Here we go. And they both lose. You don't want to say, oh, they blew it and not give credit to the winners. But sometimes that can be kind of the argument. I think in this case, it can be for both those franchises. I I think it's
1: hard to look at it that way for the following reason. What did these teams do before they got to the Astros and to the Phillies? They came in as underdogs. Certainly the D-backs did. They went into Milwaukee and they went two straight against the supposed terrific Milwaukee pitching in games that they were behind in. That is true. And they came back and beat Corbin Burns and beat Freddie Peralta. Who in that game too? It went four and two thirds. I believe it four and two thirds of no-hit ball. And they came back and him, beat him and beat the bullpen. They hit better. They pitched better. Their bullpen was better. And then obviously they demolished the Dodgers in three straight with much better offense, much better starting pitching, not that it took a lot to be better than the Dodgers starting pitching, but they pummeled the Dodgers starting pitching. They have won nine of 12 games. They didn't sneak by the Brewers and they didn't sneak by the Dodgers. Yes, they were down 2-0 and 3-2 to the Phillies and got crushed in game two. But other than that, it was a pretty competitive series except for one route. So, The fact that they're there is surprising, but they've played well. And they've played well throughout. They've won really bad game. And as for Texas, well, they demolished the 100-win Orioles. And I mean demolished. (laughs) And obviously, a, a completely up and down series against the Astros. Two, three, two. Sweep on the road, get swept at home, sweep on the road. So um, they have also played well throughout the postseason. Uh, and remember, they had a very good season. But what did they do? They went through a tough stretch. Now, they didn't go to the kind of tough stretch that the Diamondbacks did, where they, it looked like they were out of it. Uh, they went from a big lead in the West to starting to struggle. Ivaldi got hurt. Uh, They had to deal with, uh, you know, some other injuries and, you know, the starting pitching really started to struggle. And lo and behold, their first place lead evaporated and they were fighting in a three-team race for the division and the postseason. But they were a good team all year. They were ahead of the Astros all year. They were better than the Astros all year until the very end of the season, when you know, they wind up falling just behind. And the Astros sneak in, in the division. But you know, obviously the D-backs went through their one bad stretch. And because of their, who they are, a lot of young players, no big payroll, just the opposite of Texas, lots of very large payroll, a uh, former World Series MVP and Seager, uh, well-known high-priced free agent pitchers, one of them hurt, one of them recently acquired, um... They have you know, the higher brow marquee players, but also the locales of the teams. you know these aren't two mammoth baseball markets. Texas is football, uh, even though the Astros have been a dominant postseason team. And obviously you know Arizona, you tell me what it is, I don't even know in terms of what's the best market in Arizona. You know Is it the Phoenix Suns? Uh, is it the Arizona Cardinals? Yikes, is it the uh, Phoenix Coyotes? They're still called Phoenix? Uh, I I guess it's the Phoenix Suns. But the point is, um, young players, not a lot of publicity, relatively low payroll, and a team that kind of faded from view in the second half of the season. But then they make their run and they sneak in and everybody thinks they're not any good. Because, you know, they only had the least amount of wins in the National League. But for the first half of the season, they were one of the better teams in the National League. They were better than anybody in the Central. They were better than anybody uh, in the West except for the Dodgers. In fact, they were in first place. Remember, they were ahead of the Dodgers before their skiing started and the Dodgers ran away. So this was not a team that was you know just over 500 all year. They got off to a great first half of the season. So good fortune, always. But quite frankly, I thought they played better baseball than the Phillies. I didn't think it was lucky. They certainly played better baseball than the Warriors, and they played far better baseball than the Dodgers. So to call it a fluke, uh, I I would have to say I totally disagree. Am I shocked? Yes, absolutely. Because I didn't think they had enough offensive firepower. To uh, match the Dodgers or the Phillies, and they certainly had the offensive firepower to pummel the Dodgers. And their pitching—I don't want to say so much their starters—although the kid had two terrific starts, five-inning starts. But the back end of their bullpen, the last three innings or so of their bullpen, shut the Phillies down. Certainly, in you know the two most important games, where it mattered most. I wouldn't be... The Phillies looked like they were a little tight. Uh, I set some of their best players. You know, the last two games, obviously, the top three guys did nothing. You know, Schwarber turned into a terrible funk the last three games, four games. Uh, Harper hit a few shots, but last couple of games didn't do anything. Obviously, down at the bottom of their order, their center fielder doesn't hit at all. Uh, you know, Marsh had some knocks, but didn't do any real damage. And Cassianos went to a huge... Funk after the big start uh, early in the series, and I think finished over his last 21, I think, with 11 strikeouts. Uh, so the bottom end of their bottom portion of their order uh, really hurt them, and you know, you know Nola and uh, and uh, their other big boy uh, weren't locks. Uh, Nola especially, who I have a lot of faith in and who pitched very well, but. He had uh, a lousy, quite frankly, uh, you know, game six at home to wrap it up. You know, that's what they were counting on. Uh, th- those two guys are, are where they pin their hopes, and they were a terrific, big two. But you know, they were last year in the postseason, and they were this year in the postseason until this series. You know, Wheeler was, was terrific throughout, uh, but Nolan didn't get it done in game two, uh, you know, in his game, his second game, which was game six. Uh, And that, I think, really was a momentum builder for Arizona. I think right then and there is, and don't get me wrong, neutral observer. You know, old Al from White Plains, a country lawyer, high school athlete. Um, But I really think that was a huge confidence builder for them to go back to Philly after they, uh, you know, Philly, Philly took control of the series in Arizona when they bounced back with the game five win. Um to go back to Philly and beat Nola, I just thought that was huge. I thought that was huge. And I think that gave them a huge a huge confidence building uh, to bounce right back like that. In you know the House of Horrors, where you know, Philly had not lost the entire postseason. Um so you know to their credit, Torrey Larula did a great job managing his bullpen and then they play. Everybody talks about it now. It's the new wave, you know, which you and I have talked about. It's not just the ball over the wall, which the Phillies, you know, hammered people to death. The Braves did all year long. But you know, yeah, they hit some home runs, but they run the bases. You know, Corbin Carroll steals bases. Uh, I love, I love Marte's one of my favorite players in Major League Baseball. Switch hitter, uh, hit throughout the playoffs. A little bit, he's got some pop. It was terrific in Minnesota. Ah uh, came over to Arizona, had a couple of really good years, and then signed the contracts. Been hurt a lot. Had a terrific year this year, and he's a wonderful player. Solid second baseman, switch hitter, leadoff man. Does damage. Uh, I love, him. love him. I love the speed. I love. Speed. I think speed kills. So I think this is going to be a very interesting series. I I really do. Uh, I think it's going to come down to, you know, who's starting pitching can get deeper because. You know, if the Texas starting pitchers can get deeper into games, I think they'll win the series. Because no matter what, they have the better offense. And this isn't just the Phillies' offense; their offense is their lineup is deeper than the Phillies. They go, you know, eight nine deep. Their center fielder Tavares, he can hit. The Phillies' center fielder couldn't hit a lick. You know, their catcher, you know, like Real Muto, very good defensively, strong arm, switch hitter. You know, he can hit. Jung can hit. Um, you know, they got offense, you know, pretty much all over the lineup, and they're very good defensively, very good defensively in the outfield. And obviously, the thing you know that's great for all us Cardinal fans is to see that you know Jordan Montgomery has become their ace, uh, who they traded at the deadline and got some prospects for, and could have we signed, but made no effort. And Adolis Garcia, like Rosario, has followed in the footsteps of Randy Razarena former Cardinal, uh, traded for a prospect that's been a bust. Uh, whereas they got nothing for Dallas Garcia, and he, like Randy Resurrena, is the MVP of the ALCS, and only two RBIs away from tying David Freeze's all-time record set in 2011 for most RBIs in the postseason. Kudos to you, John Rizzelliac, or as Cardinal fans like to call him, Moses the Clown. You're struck again.
0: Let's take a quick break to pay the bills. He's Al Renato. I'm John Lund. We'll be right back with the new report, old report, here on Sports Radio America. We welcome you back. I'm John Lund. He's Al Renato, and this is the new report, old report. The last thing to chat about that's been going on in college football, and really taking college football by storm, and it's not Quinn Ewers hurting his shoulder, and maybe Arch Manning will finally get some playing time for Texas. This involves the second best ranked team in the country and some sign stealing going on on the sidelines. Now, for those that don't know sign stealing much like it is in baseball, if you're doing it during the game and non electronically and just picking it up human to human, perfectly legal. And it's widespread across all of college football. People are tasked every game, staring at the sidelines, staring at those big, huge signs with random images on them to see if they could figure out what the team is going to do on offense or defense. If there's something, a tell, if you will, if a player's doing this, he's going to do that, et cetera. Perfectly legal. Every team does it. If you're not doing it, you're behind the times. And no coach is shocked to find out that there's people on staffs. Some staffs have guys on it better than others. So it comes out last week at Michigan that a staffer was going above and beyond just stealing signs at the game. He was going to games for opponents sitting on the sideline with a phone and recording the entire sideline of the opponent for the entire game. To get their signs then during the game against that opponent would be on the Michigan sideline with signs in hand relaying to the coaches what they'd be doing on offense and defense and you think well that's pretty bad right and then as the days have gone on more and more stuff is coming out from what Connor Stallions has been doing with Michigan football wasn't really going by an alias for this sort of thing. Just buying tickets, Venmoing money to people, attending games. And it went to most Big Ten opponents, to SEC opponents. The spiderweb of this case is preposterous for how deep the roots of this go. For years, stuff like this has been going on. And of course, above it all, when asked about it, Jim Harbaugh said, he know nothing of it happening. Hadn't a clue. Pictures are coming out of them being on the sidelines next to each other. Video evidence is out. A 500 or 600 page manifesto was released from this dude who's obsessed with Michigan football and has wanted to coach there for most of his life. Obsessed in such a way that he's a U.S. Marine for starters, but he went to the Marines because... Some of his favorite coaches that he studied in roots to becoming a one day Michigan coach were in service academies. So he thought if he went to the Marines, that training would then help him in his coaching career down the road. All this man wants to do is coach Michigan football. And until getting there, I guess this little stepping stone of showing that he's able to decipher the signs of opponents is something that he can be very good at. Now, Michigan has denied these things, of course. The NCAA, the FBI, all shortened places that you don't want to be associated with creeping around your program have their tentacles looking into this thing. I don't think any decision will be made in this college football season. They'll just be curse words and things shouted at Michigan for the rest of the year that they're cheaters. The fun anecdote for me of all this, of the schools that were I don't want to say attacked, but the schools that were targeted for his video recordings and who he was in contact with. You know, schools were kind of getting the hint that this was happening. Something ain't right. Rumblings were going around. Michigan's doing something, but they couldn't really pinpoint it. The fun part of all this, too, is TCU coaches learned from other staffs about Michigan's elaborate sign stealing before the college football playoff semifinal last year. They changed some of their signs, but then they used dummy. Like old signs to trick Michigan. <laughs> and the players were then told, don't use the dummy signs. So, having the 15 or so practices, like leading into the college postseason, benefited TCU because they knew this dude was going to be trying to get their signs. So, they completely went against what they were doing, Mike Leach esque, to be able to get away with this. Now, I had mentioned before, Al, sign stealing happens in sports. There was nothing better in baseball than if you could figure out a tell on a pitcher and know that an off-speed pitch was coming. Or if you figured out an indicator by a third base coach and you knew when a steal was coming. If you decipher signs from the bench, it's one of the best feelings in the world to have that upper hand. And it helps in all sports. There's one thing to get the upper hand by stealing a sign, sitting at the other sideline. There's another to be sitting at a game, recording the entire thing on your phone, and then relaying the messages to the coaching staff week after week after week. Now, things need to be fixed in general. One of them being why there's still no electronic communication in the helmets like they have in the NFL for the college guys. There's a long list of things that need to be fixed. But on its face, how, how do you view this? This science stealing at Michigan? What happens to them when all of this eventually is put in a however-many-page document and put down at whatever desk it needs to be put down on once this is over with. I mean, I I can't see them coming out of this.
1: I think we have to wait for the House Judiciary Committee to start their investigation after they finish with the Hunter Biden scenario. Surely. Claim improperly that uh, they've got all these smoking guns against their president, which comes up empty. Next is Jim Harbaugh. Um, Look, why the FBI is involved, I don't know. Um, but in, in interstate commerce, uh, I, I cross state lines, and doing it, I suppose. But Michigan is destroying people. Michigan's got one of the two or three best teams in the country. Plain and simple, they have had for the last couple of years. Is that because they're stealing signs? I would be shocked. I, I, I really would. I mean, they they have all of these elaborate scenarios with the different plays, et cetera, and how to disguise it. And if they're stealing them, shame on them that they have to stoop to that. I think it's ridiculous. I think it's comical. I, I think it's an totally complete embarrassment to Jim Harbaugh and the program. Because to say you had no knowledge, well, then what are they doing with it? If they're doing, if they're doing it, what are they doing with it? Is it just you know he's relaying to the assistants and the coordinators, and they're saying okay, uh, but don't tell coach, don't tell, don't 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 tell Big Jim, all right, uh, you know, see no evil, hear no evil, speak no evil. So if this guy was is doing what he said they were doing, and it was being relayed to the staff, it doesn't matter whether or not he had no knowledge. Obviously under. The the bylaws uh, of the NCAA, you are deemed to have constructive knowledge, even if you actually have no actual knowledge. If you're that coach, you're stuck. What will the penalty be? I have no idea. You know, further suspension? uh, Would they take a championship away? Would they take games away? Which would take a championship away? Uh, What happens on the field happens on the field. I've always thought taking wins away was ridiculous, but. I have no idea what's going to happen. I don't think I agree with you. I don't think anything will happen this year, but I think Jim Harbaugh, look, here is what I think could well happen. Michigan wins the national title, and Jim Harbaugh goes to the NFL and he's accomplished his mission at Michigan, and you know they get put on a you know a, a severe probation and lose scholarships for a couple of years. And Jim Harbaugh, like Pete Carroll, right, has gotten out before the Axe fell. And I would not be the least bit surprised if Michigan wins the national title. They're very good. As we've talked about the last few weeks, Georgia is not as good as Georgia has been these last couple of years. They're still very good, but they're not great. The offense isn't as explosive and isn't as versatile, but it's still a good offense. The defense isn't as totally dominant, laden with NFL first-round picks as it's been, but it's still very good, and they're still undefeated, and they're still number one, but I think there's very little distance between Georgia and Michigan. And then I don't think Ohio State is that far behind. Um, I like the way Ohio State's playing. I don't think they're as good as the Ohio State teams of, of the last couple of years, but as I said, I don't think Georgia as good as they were, I think Michigan might be better. This might be the best Michigan team uh, of, of the last three. And I think Michigan's going to win. If he asked me right now, well, I thought I was going to win the national title. If they're allowed to play for it, I would say Michigan.
0: There's a chance that Michigan makes the college football playoff, of course. There's a chance that they win the national championship. I would think that we we will watch those with our eyes. But we won't see them in the record books for the school. I think with what Jim Harbaugh has done to the NCLA already with some things that they're not happy with, this is a lot more important than buying a couple kids hamburgers. But he's already under their microscope for different things, unregarded with this. My thing is, I don't know who has the power to enact any of the severity of punishments to come. Like, if the NCAA says you're getting the death penalty, your program, your coaches, gone. Jim Harbaugh, gone. X number of scholarships, gone. Wins from this time to this time, bowl wins, gone. You have to basically start all over because you've cheated for this length of time, we believe. And it has taken over all of college football. You've screwed over even somehow the boys in Vegas. I think the against the spread, Jim Harbaugh, before this reportedly started, was say 25 25 and one. And then once these were put into action over the last couple of years, his record is something like 17 5 and one. <laughs> Now, of course, it takes a little time to have your team and the transfer portal. We get all that stuff. But as more gets thrown onto the desk, it just looks worse and worse. What I'm not sure of, though, is who can put down the Gandalf stick and say, This is the severest of the punishments we could give you, and we will. You shall not pass Michigan without them being able to say, okay, we'll just sue you and take you to court. Because things have gone so well with you and the Supreme Court in the past couple of years, I'm sure we'll be able to just take our chances and probably come out unscathed. But I think what happens is, like you said, Jim Harbaugh, I think, is getting out of town after this year. He's not sticking around for what's coming for him. Because it seems like something's going to come for him. This is stuff that we haven't heard of buying tickets. I mean, there was even tickets bought for the Michigan state game. That's like, they were still doing, this wasn't something like, Oh man, this is coming along. We better stop this year. No, they were still doing this. when All this stuff came out. They scrubbed Connor stallion, social media, all of them, Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, gone. And then the next day they said, yeah, we're not really sure about this. We don't know what you're talking about. Oh, so you just happen to tell this dude to erase everything he's ever put out on the internet except for the manifesto that got found on Google docs. Very hard to scrub that out. You know, the old Google machine goes real deep back into the history. I'm every day more and more flabbergasted at the lengths that they went to do these sign stealings at as many games as they went to. They had folders set aside for the files. They had money set aside for the tickets and the, the transportation and everything that went into the games Imagine sitting at, on the sideline of a random Big Ten game, and some dude is sitting there every quarter with his phone out, just zoomed in on the other sideline. And you're sitting next to him like, what the hell is this guy doing? <laughs> is he working for somebody? This is strange. Who's, who's, he, who's he sending these to? It was Jim Harbaugh in Michigan. Oh, see? You know, there's people across the country that are telling those stories over over drinks right now. Hey, get a load of this. Remember the Rutgers game two years ago? Yeah, I was sitting next to that guy. <laughs> I mean, you laugh at it, but it's so crazy that they've been doing this at such a level that they're at. It's similar to the Astros. You didn't need to be doing the banging shit. You're one of the best teams in baseball. Michigan, you're one of the best teams in college football. What are you doing to yourselves? How much greed or just horror for things to go wrong do you have? Do you have to do such illegal activities? The rule is somewhat stupid. Yes. Does everybody steal signs or try to? Yes. Do they go through incredible lengths? And I'm sure there's, there's ways you could do it that are close to this because of the way technology is how you could probably pause a television broadcast if the camera's moving and zoom in that way. Like there's people whose jobs it is to just look at signs all week to try to get an edge. Obviously you still got to go out and make the plays. No question about it, but it's also humorous. The record of Michigan during COVID when they had a great team on the field, but nobody was able to be in the stands. A lot of smoke happening. A lot of it's almost like the fire's in the dumpster and nobody has the stick to close the lid at this point. I can't imagine Michigan coming away from this unscathed or close to it, but I don't think it's going to happen this year. I'm, I'm almost positive it's not going to happen this year. It just won't. There's too much that they have to gather for this to be a case, and the NCAA has not been known to be swift with its decision-making. So I think they'll be okay. They'll be able to compete. It's a great week to have a bye week, Al. <laughs> They're getting a bit better time on the calendar for this to come out, where Jim Harbaugh doesn't have to answer about it yet. But man, I you can't believe it because it hasn't been done before. That's how unbelievable it is. They're the first no, team to go to the lengths that they have for this.
1: Nobody's well, we don't know that either. Nobody's been caught before, so
0: it's crazy. And obviously, talking point over on. All the college channels. This is the story of college
1: football. Happened in Major League Baseball, didn't it? People still like people like you still hate the Astros.
0: And we're still. Happened in the national football. League. We're disappointed about that punishment on the baseball side.
1: And what punishment was there for the New England Patriots?
0: Four some games. Fines. Some fines. Four games for their quarterback for one well, of that, them? That
1: was, that was with the flake. Yeah, for yeah, one of them. We, we, with, with When they stole the Super Bowl, uh, you know, by going in and, and filming the Rams' practices, the plays, and to this day, the Hall of Famer says, you know, because remember they were shutting them out, to this day, to this day, he swore that they knew the plays. Yeah. He swore that the Patriots knew the plays.
0: It's fine, though, because I think Belichick was fined $500,000. So that'll show them. Yeah, that, that'll, that'll do That'll it. show them. Patriots fined $250,000. Yeah. And they couldn't have a first-round pick in the 2008 it's like
1: draft. Find, it's like finding me a
0: nickel. They took away their first-round pick in the 2008 NFL draft, which was the 31st pick.
1: Ooh. Marshall Falk swore up and down that the Patriots knew the plays they were running it's like we it's like they had our playbook
0: and conversely there's no worse feeling in the world when you're on the other side of getting the sign stolen off you if you're pitching and you see somebody on second relaying the sign or you don't notice it until a couple innings in like oh that's why they were hitting my curve they're looking at the catcher nothing worse than that i don't know how michigan comes away from this and it's just been incredible to try to follow it all because every day something else is coming out about it i mean you know how college football fans are crazed people college coaches crazed people you try to wrong college football you'll be found eventually and once you are found these people will find out everything there is to know about your entire life before you even realize it's out there to be found Uh, These message boards and and stuff for college football fans, the links that they go to to discover information about their teams, you think they're not going to do that now that you've cheated them? Oh, more and more is going to just continue to come out about this. It's going to be crazy. Somebody's going to have a video, I guarantee, of somebody taping Connor Stallions at the game, taping the sideline. It's only a matter of time. Somebody was there going, what the hell is this guy doing? Taping this game, they sent it on Snapchat to their friend, like, look at this loser. He hasn't put his phone down all game long. That's going to come out. Everything's going to come out. They're lucky that it won't be something that happens this season. This is really it. It's the it's like the last dance, Al, for, for the Michigan football program.
1: Uh, I, I, I wouldn't go that far. I think they'll survive. But you know, they will have some penalties. As I said... Uh, I think they're going to win the national title
0: and Harbaugh will be gone when the penalty No question. Gone. He's got to get out of there. Either way, he's got to get out.
1: He's going to wind up in the NFL uh, with... Well, how about he returns to a place he's coached in the past? How about he returns to California and takes over a franchise that is in desperate need of leadership at the head coaching position. The constantly underachieving Los Angeles don't call me San Diego Chargers. Because if they don't make the postseason, which I don't think they will, he's going to get fired. And there's your fit. That's the spot. Got the most important piece. You've already succeeded in California because remember, he did Where was he before Stanford? Was he at the University of San Diego? I thought he was. Then he goes to Stanford and rebuilds that program. Uh, And then he goes to the 49ers.
0: Stanford feels so long ago, doesn't it? Yeah, he was with San Diego for two seasons.
1: Not San San Diego State.
0: Right, the the regular San Diego.
1: The the University of San Diego. And... uh, He was a a great coach in college at every stop. And same thing in the NFL.
0: Oh, man. If you haven't caught up with it, folks, if you just Google Connor Stallions with one N, you will see everything. And if you want to stay up late, there's a 600-page manifesto out there about how to become the next Michigan football coach, which unfortunately it looks like was all for naught because I don't think he'll be let back into college football ever again. Al, it's always a pleasure. Ton to talk about the next couple weeks. We'll do it again next week. World Series, NFL,
1: NBA kicking off, folks. From my part of the great John Tiny lot. I am Al Redondo, AKL from White Plains. Enjoy the World Series, and have a great sports weekend, everybody.